text today is taken from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And talking, uh, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days... He will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Good morning. When I read this passage, I tend to alternate between two different responses. On the one hand, I find myself being annoyed with James and John. It's like, really, guys? This is how we're going to go about this? And then on the other hand, I find myself thinking, maybe they're a lot like me. Maybe I'm a lot like them. Where I'm an introvert, and so I tend to find myself in the internal world. I spend a lot of time just lost in my own mind, thinking my own thoughts, and I can miss what's going on around me. I could give you a handful of examples of that just within the last week because I get lost in my head that often. But I'm going to give you an example from last fall where I was with two friends and one had recently got engaged. And so he was explaining to us how he and his fiance were trying to decide who should be in their bridal party. And he asked, "Um, so I have this thing where I have my family and They've known me my whole life. They love me really well, but they don't follow Jesus. So they don't view marriage the way 
that me and my fiance do. And he's like, and then I have these friends who have entered my life within the last handful of years, but they challenge me to grow in my relationship with Jesus. They challenge me and my fiance to pursue a godly relationship. So what do you think we should do? Like, if you were in this situation, who would you ask to be in your bridal party? And me and the other friend were like, we're not engaged. We don't have to worry about this right now. We may never have to worry about this. And, and in that moment, I start thinking, okay, what would I do? Like, what's the right answer here? Obviously, there's no one single right answer, but what do I support? And the other friend started to answer first. And I was working through all these things in my head, and then all of a sudden, the first friend goes, Kayla, so what do you think? And I realized I missed absolutely everything that Andrew had said. (laughs) No idea what Andrew picked. And I found myself in this position of, do I, do I, how do I say this? On the one hand, I could repeat everything Andrew said, everything to a T. Or I could completely, like, discredit everything he said and, like, just think that his opinion is entirely stupid. And so I was trying to navigate how to articulate my thoughts without being offensive or repetitive. And as I finished, I found out I took the opposite stance of Andrew. We presented both sides fairly, and I have no idea why Andrew chose what he chose, because I, I missed it. I missed the entire thing, because I was in my head. And I read this, and I'm like, maybe James and John got lost in their heads here because they clearly missed it. There's this disconnect. We see that Jesus explains that he's going to die and be raised from the dead. And then James and John come up and say, hey, Jesus, we have a question. Like, um, when you're in your kingdom, can we sit next to you? Can we have the authority and the power? And it's easy to, to separate these two stories, especially when editors put in a new heading to help separate what we're looking at. But these two stories belong together. They flow together. And so I find myself asking, were they paying attention to what Jesus was saying at all? Were they? And so I find myself in this place of being confused, and this doesn't sit well with me. And as I've looked at it more and more, it continues to not sit well with me because this isn't the first time that the disciples missed this. Here in Mark 10, this is the third time that Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die and be raised from the dead. And it's the third time that they respond in a very strange manner. And so the disciples, the people who were with Jesus in his earthly ministry, the people who traveled with him, who ate with him, who spent their time with him, who leaned into who Jesus was, they missed it. What if we're missing it too? If the disciples can miss it, maybe we need to acknowledge that we can be prone to miss Jesus and what he's saying too. And so as we examine how the disciples missed it, how we can miss it, we're going to take a look back at the first two times that this happens so we can understand what's happening here in Mark 10. So the first time is in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus is with the disciples, and he asks them who they say he is. And Peter, being bold and quick to respond, 
with confidence says, you are the Christ. It's the first time in Mark's gospel that that has been declared. The Christ. The disciples were Jews. They were good Jews. They understood their scripture. They had a clear understanding of who the Christ would be and what the Christ would do. Christ is a Greek word. The Hebrew word is Messiah. In English, it means anointed one. And so it's the idea of the person being anointed. In the Old Testament, there are three roles into which people are anointed. It's the priest, the prophet, and the king. And so the Christ is identified in those roles as the one who is anointed. And the Jews were waiting for this king from David's line. They were waiting for the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, who would come and be David's true heir and would restore Israel's kingdom. They were expecting a military hero. They were expecting that the Christ would come and that he would bring judgment into the world and that the Christ would free Israel from its enemies. The disciples had this understanding. They were expecting that political independence would come. They were expecting that the Christ would free them from Rome and would restore the kingdom of Israel. And so the disciples had their clear vision of the Christ. He would be the good, rightful king who would free them from Rome. He would be the true king of Israel. And so you would think that if Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, this anticipated king, that there would be like a grand celebration, that everyone would get jazzed and super excited, or that Jesus would huddle them all together and explain his game plan of how they would move forward. But that's not what happens here. Mark records in verses 29 through the beginning of 32, And he, Jesus, asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is declared to be the Christ and he explains who the Christ is by foretelling his death and resurrection. Because the two can't be separated. The Christ, the disciples needed to know that the Christ was going to be killed and be raised from the dead. And this was not like their expectations. That's why Peter took him aside and rebuked him. And Jesus rebuked him back and said, get behind me, Satan, because this matters that the disciples would understand who Jesus is as the Christ, as the Messiah. And we see that the disciples missed it here. And we may be missing it too. We, like the disciples, can stick to our own ideas of who Jesus should be as the Christ and what Jesus should do as the Christ. And then we see that Jesus talks with his disciples and he draws in the greater crowd around them and says in verse 34, if anyone would, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We see that Jesus explains here what it means to be the Christ 
and what it means to follow the Christ. And so Jesus continues his ministry. He heals people. He performs miracles. He teaches people. He proclaims good news. And then we find ourselves in the second occurrence of Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection at the end of Mark in verses 30 through 37. So in verse 31, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. And we see that the disciples, again, don't get it. Mark records in the next verse, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. The disciples were still stuck on their ideas of the Christ. And as we continue with the story, we realize that they begin to argue over who would be the greatest. Where it's like, okay, so Jesus is going to be the king of Israel, and if I'm his fifth closest friend, like, well, three and four are kind of kind of iffy. So maybe I'm his third closest friend. Like, where, where do I fall into this? Who am I in this kingdom? What kind of power and authority can I have? They're all seeking a high rank when Jesus would be king. They're focused on how Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, affects them. And so, again, the disciples missed it here. And we could be missing it too, because we, like the disciples, are prone to get lost in thinking about how things affect us, that we can focus on ourselves and lose track of what people around us, what Jesus is saying, and what that means outside of how it affects us personally and immediately. And Jesus, he acknowledges their argument and he responds to them. He meets them in their argument. And he says in verse 35, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so, again, Jesus' ministry continues, and we end up in Mark 10, the story that Pastor Bill read this morning, where Jesus says here in verses 33 and 34, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Their entrance into Jerusalem is the entrance that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, where Jesus is greeted with shouts of Hosanna, with palm branches, that people are catching on to this vision of who Jesus should be as the Christ. And Jesus knows that this is that journey. And so as they're entering in, he goes into greater detail with his disciples of what this means. He explains, this is how this is going to unfold. I'm not surprised. You shouldn't be surprised either. He knows that they need to hear how this is going to go down. They need to know this. And the disciples still don't get it. This time, no one rebukes Jesus. They don't huddle together to debate who's the greatest. Instead, James and John come up to Jesus and are like, um, Jesus, can we sit next to you in your power? Like, we have this request. You should say yes. And they're they're asking to be second in command. They're asking to share in all that Jesus is going to experience as king. And 
it's easy to be like, oh, boys, no, like, you're missing it. But we can't just be frustrated with James and John because the other ten miss it too here. It's not just James and John who are, like, focused on the wrong thing. The other ten, they're frustrated. And they're frustrated because James and John beat them to the question. And it's kind of like if you think about having a grandmother who is kind of starting to talk about how eventually she's going to need her house cleaned out because she's not going to be here for forever. And there are all these things. And you see in this prized corner is this antique desk. And it's like, I want grandma's antique desk. How do I, how do I say that? How do I take ownership of that? Do I, like, write a Post-it note and just stick it on there? Is Grandma, like, going to be okay with that? Because I, I love Grandma, and I don't want her to think that I want her to be gone, that I value the desk more than her. But I love Grandma, and if I can't have Grandma, I want the desk. And so everyone in the family kind of has these things that they're taking apart and trying to figure out how to ask without being offensive. And then in comes that cousin, you know, like the one that you're like, why? Why did you come? Why are you at family gatherings? You just make them terrible. Like, your presence is hard. We don't know what to do with you. You don't love grandma the way I love grandma. Like, you can't, no, just don't. And cousin comes in, and in cousin's boldness says, hey, grandma, I really like this desk. Can I have it later? And everyone else is like, no, that was mine. Like, I was supposed to be the one to ask the question. Grandma loves me more. Like, I come to every holiday. I call Grandma every Sunday afternoon. That desk is mine. And they're not frustrated with how, how the cousin just was kind of weirdly bold in making this request. But frustrated, that cousin got to it first. And so the disciples are all stuck in this tension of, I wanted to ask that question. Like, we argued over this between ourselves because we wanted to ask this question, and they got to ask it first. And the great thing about this story is that Jesus hears the request of James and John, that he listens to them. He doesn't go, boys, you missed it, and later you're going to regret this. Like, you should have listened. He doesn't say that. He listens to their request, and he responds to them. He meets them in that. And so in verse 38, he says to James and John, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And so he gives them these two pictures here. He tells them about the cup. He tells them about the baptism. And the cup In the Old Testament, we see Jeremiah and Isaiah talking about the cup of God's wrath, that this is a cup of suffering, a cup of judgment that is poured out on Israel's enemies, on the enemies of God. And we see, if we continue reading the story of Mark, that in chapter 14, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he speaks of the cup again. Mark writes in verses 35 through 36 of chapter 14, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so that Jesus is drinking this cup of God's wrath 
on behalf of God's enemies who will accept him taking this cup. And that his cup is great suffering. Jesus knows what's going to happen in the following chapters of Mark, that his suffering is great. And then we see the picture of the baptism of death. And if we look at Romans chapter 6, we understand what this baptism of death means through verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this idea of baptism as death is present in Life Church's own statement on baptism. In there we say that we submerge the believer in water as they identify with the death of Jesus and raise them out of the water to identify with his resurrection. And so Jesus uses these images of suffering and death to try to explain to James and John just how serious this request is that they're not taking on the cup of God's wrath, that they're not taking on God's punishment for themselves or for the world. Jesus did that. But that as they identify with Jesus, that they will join Jesus in his suffering. That as they identify with Jesus, they will join Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And so he explains these things to them. And then he gathers the 12 together and talks to them and ends his response to them in verse 45 by saying, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this idea of the ransom being for many alludes to the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. And New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has a book called Mark for Everyone, and in that he writes, When at the end of this passage, Jesus quotes the servant song, to give his life as a ransom for many, he is making the point with which Isaiah would have emphatically agreed that the kingdom of God turns the world's idea of power and glory upside down and inside out. That the kingdom of God turns the world's idea of power and glory upside down and inside out. The disciples were missing that understanding of the upside down kingdom. They kept missing what Jesus was getting at in these three stories for two different reasons. One, they held to their former vision of the Christ rather than seeking to understand what Jesus was saying and what that meant. And two, they were focused on how Jesus being the Christ affected them. However, Jesus continued to explain what it means to follow him. That as the disciples missed it, Jesus continued to meet them in that and reiterate what it looks like to follow him. And so, Life Church, the question this morning is how are we doing in understanding Jesus' upside down kingdom? Are we missing it? Because we don't want to miss it. We live in a culture that presents this idea of Jesus, and I like to refer to this. Jesus as the cultural American dream Jesus. That it's not the Jesus of scripture, it's distorted, and it's what culture says Jesus should be, and 
we live in the United States of America where we have the American dream. So I refer to this Jesus as the cultural American dream Jesus. And so in order to understand what kind of, what kind of preconceived notions we have about Jesus coming into this, we're going to talk about that Jesus for a little while this morning. We're going to examine that Jesus. So the cultural American dream Jesus offers us prosperity. He gives us whatever we want. Where It's like, I can ask Jesus for this, and he'll give it to me because I identify with Jesus. That it's all focused on me and what I want. Or the cultural American dream Jesus emphasizes the Jesus who is gentle and meek. And we see that Jesus can be gentle and meek in Scripture, but the cultural American dream Jesus doesn't acknowledge the Jesus who is confrontational, the Jesus who is bold in talking about what's wrong, the Jesus who is righteously angry with things that are broken. And so that culture's Jesus just says, oh, Jesus is this nice, soft, gentle thing. Like, I can just cuddle him and then walk away when I'm done with him, that he won't challenge me, that this Jesus won't challenge me and what I think and what I do. The cultural American dream Jesus is spiritual. It's all about what's happening in the heart. And it's all about the heart and soul. I don't even understand what the heart and soul is. If I'm honest, maybe you don't either. But this Jesus disregards, de-emphasizes the Jesus who entered the world in a physical body, the Jesus who was raised from the dead in a physical body, the Jesus who is physical, who will return and raise physical bodies from the dead. So our cultural American dream Jesus is all about the heart. And in that, we can also have the cultural American dream Jesus be individual and personal. Like, I have my Jesus, and he works this way, and you have your Jesus, and they're kind of different, but that's okay, because it's just me and Jesus, and it's you and Jesus, and we all have our own Jesus, and we can all get along in that. And that personal, individual Jesus disregards that Jesus is communal, that Jesus, as God, is in community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, who entered earth, was in community with his followers, that he was in community with his people, that he calls his people here and now to be in community, that the resurrection will be perfect community, that Jesus is communal. And so our American dream Jesus can disregard that because community is hard. And so we can just throw that to the side. But that's not who Jesus is. The cultural American dream Jesus focuses on the cross, which is good, but tends to de-emphasize the resurrection, which is what fulfills all the good things about the cross. Because if it was just the cross, it's like, okay, death happened. But that there's this resurrection. And our cultural American dream Jesus sometimes includes the resurrection. Maybe Easter, a couple other times during the year, but that it's all about the cross and only the cross. Or going along with that, that the cultural American dream Jesus puts the focus on a savior, on someone who rescues me and says, okay, you're good now. I'm going to go over here and rescue someone else. And doesn't focus on Jesus being the savior and 
the Lord, the Savior and the Master, the one who calls his people to follow him, that he doesn't just pluck his people out and say, you're good, but says, come with me, journey with me. And so those are just some of the main things that I see in this cultural American dream, Jesus. I'm sure you have thought of your own during this, or you will think of your own as you examine who this American dream Jesus is. And it's easy to buy into that cultural presentation because it fits in our culture. It takes pieces of our lives here in America and says, okay, this is what we look like, so this is what our Jesus should look like. But we are not called to follow the American dream Jesus. We're called to follow the Jesus of Scripture. And so we're called to follow the Jesus who doesn't always meet our expectations, just like he didn't meet the disciples' expectations. But this is the Jesus who is always the promised one of Scripture, that he fulfilled the prophecies about the Messiah, that he fulfills all of Scripture that talks about who Jesus is. We're called to follow that Jesus. We're called to follow the Jesus who has a physical body, who healed physical bodies, who cares about the physical body, and will raise physical bodies from the dead. We are called to follow a Jesus who is physical. We're called to follow the Jesus who tells his followers to deny themselves, to take up their cross, their instrument of death, and follow him. We're called to follow the Jesus who suffered, who was killed, and who was raised to life. We're called to follow the Jesus who tells his followers that whoever wants to be first must be least of all and servant of all. We're called to follow the Jesus who is not afraid of suffering, who is willing to suffer, who drinks the cup of God's wrath, who is baptized into death and is raised into life. We're called to follow that Jesus. We're called to follow the Jesus of Scripture who tells his followers that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're called, we're invited to follow the Jesus who is patient with his followers and their lack of understanding of who he is and what he means by what he's saying. That Jesus was patient with the disciples. That Jesus is patient with us. We're invited into this upside-down kingdom that flips the idea of power and glory, that focuses on service, that is modeled through the service of the God that we know. And that is so much better than the cheap cultural imitation of Jesus. And so we're invited into this place of being surprised by who Jesus is, being surprised by what Scripture says about this God. After I graduated from college a few years back, I moved to Ghana in West Africa and did college ministry there for a year. And in that time, every month, we were given a day with the Lord. So it's like an intentional day marked off in our schedule. It's like, okay, this is my day that I get to spend with the Lord, and I get to be intentional in that. And so there was one month where I was trying to figure out what I would do the next day for my day with the Lord. 
and decided that the main aim of my day would be to read through the Gospel of Mark, that I was just going to read through the Gospel of Mark and see what happened with that. And so the next morning, I grabbed my Bible, I grabbed my prayer journal and my pen, and I read through the Gospel of Mark and would make note of things that stuck out to me, of things that were challenging to me, of things that I read and was like, has that always been here? Like, I've read Mark before, but has this story always been here? Because I don't think I've heard it before. Where these things that are surprising, because it was like, really, Jesus said that? Jesus did that? This person did this? What is happening here? Where it's like, I had been acquainted with the Gospel of Mark. I had spent time in it. But as I read it in this new culture where I was realizing more and more of what I was holding on to from the cultural American dream Jesus and was having the cultural Ghanaian Jesus like thrown into the mix and then realizing that like this is the Jesus of scripture and that as I'm following him, I'm reading this book and being surprised and that that's kind of a scary place to end up in where it's like, I've been missing this about Jesus. I've been missing this. I've been missing this. And now I have to work through that and change how I view Jesus because Scripture tells me this is who Jesus is. And so this is what we're invited into, is this place of being surprised by Jesus, this place of examining what we think and testing it with Scripture because the Bible tells us who Jesus is. And it needs to take over the things that we have decided Jesus is. That we need to invite that scripture to speak into our lives, to change the way we think, to change how we view God. And in that place of experiencing some tension, of realizing where we've missed it, we're also invited to take comfort in these stories of the disciples missing it, and of Jesus meeting them in that. We get to take comfort in the truth that Jesus is faithful to his people, that Jesus provides the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has come and the Holy Spirit is faithful to us, that just because we've missed it doesn't mean we will always miss it, doesn't mean that we're not going to catch on, but that the disciples who had missed it Jesus was faithful to them, walked with them, even after everything happened and they hid in fear. Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, came to his disciples and he met them in that and he was faithful to them there. And the Holy Spirit came and was faithful to the disciples and to the followers of Jesus. And that James and John suffered, that James and John were bold once they understood who Jesus was. And so we're invited into that, of clinging to the Jesus who is faithful, of trusting that the Holy Spirit will be faithful in helping us to understand who God is, and that we can also be empowered to be faithful in return, that his faithfulness allows us to be faithful. Because we don't want to miss Jesus because cheap cultural imitations are worthless. And the Jesus of Scripture is everything. And so we need to be people who know that Jesus, who know the good news, 
and what the good news can do in our lives. And so, speaking of good news, Kira is going to come and share the good news with us. Thank you, Kayla. Um, Kayla has a really good word for us today. I think one that we um, need to be here and need to be hearing and thinking about. Um, this Jesus is a faithful Jesus, um, and this Jesus doesn't leave us where we're at. He comes to earth. Um, we're told in the scriptures he lives a sinless life. He dies on the cross, um, but then he is raised three days later, and he's raised. Um, for us, of course, because he loves us, um, but not just for us. And I think that's um, one of the things that Kayla is saying here, is that often we miss that, that we miss that we're not saved simply to be saved because he loves us, but we're saved to be part of what Jesus is doing, um, to be part of following him. Um, And so maybe this is a story that you've heard before, and you are um, being surprised by it, Um, again, being surprised by some new aspects of it. Um, If so, we're going to have the the prayer team come up, um, and there are going to be people that you can um, perhaps talk with about the surprises that you are um, hearing from today. Um, But maybe this is a story that you're hearing for the first time, um, and you're being surprised perhaps um, by how much Jesus does love us and how much he does have a bigger story for us to be invited into. So um, if you're someone who is uh, hearing this for the first time or experiencing this newly, sorry, Um, I would also invite you to come for prayer or to talk with some of our prayer team. And I will close this in prayer briefly, and then we'll be dismissed.